Today's reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 22, through chapter 4, verse 1. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, um, first of all, I just want to start off by saying I'm, I'm very glad that each and every one of you are here and, uh, and braved uh, Winter Storm Watch 2012 um, to uh, get out of your house and uh, come together to get to uh, sing, to get to hear God's Word. Uh, and also, um, just wanted to... Um, Talk a little bit briefly, um, very briefly, uh, just about prayer. As Sam said uh, at the beginning, you know, he wants us to be a church uh, that's defined by God's word, that's defined by love of God, love of people, and of prayer. And um, I just want to encourage you, if you feel led um, as you're interacting with people at at work, at home, here at church, uh, to pray for someone, don't ignore that. Because um, there is something incredibly comforting about somebody just laying their hand on your shoulder uh, and praying for you um, when uh, you have things going on. I'm praying up here at the beginning before the service uh, or during the songs to pray for the sermon. And it was incredibly encouraging to have Josh just come up and put his hand on my shoulder and pray for me and let me know that uh, I'm not up here alone. And that there's other people that know and love and serve Jesus and that we all pray to the same God. So um, that's, that's freebie. That's not written down. So let's get into the text. Um, we are continuing. Continuing Colossians uh, chapter 3, our our mystery series, and today we're going to be looking at the mystery of work. But to get us caught up, because I know we were kind of in Advent for a while, uh, and now we just kind of got back into Colossians, Uh, the book of Colossians starts out uh, with Paul writing this letter, and in the first chapter, he reminds us that as Christians, we are transferred from a domain of darkness into a kingdom of light in Jesus Christ. Excuse me. And he goes on uh, to say um, that um, to speak about the preeminence of Christ, which is just a big word to mean that that He is the Creator of all things, and that even more than the Creator, He's not a Creator that creates and steps back, but that He is active in His creation and He sustains all things and holds all things together by the power of His will. And so Christ is to be preeminent in our lives. And so he goes on through the letter to give various calls to those of us that are Christians to strive for maturity, to, um, to fight against sin, uh, and to put on ultimately a new identity in Christ, that who you were before is gone and you're someone new in Christ. And so um, chapter 3 is really focused on unpacking what that means for us as individuals, what it means for us as families, what it means for us um, even as a community. And today we're going to really drill down to what that means for us in our work. And I want to be clear because some of us are unemployed, some of us are stay-at-home moms, some of us um, you know, are students, that work is that part of your day when you're not sleeping, Okay, so work is uh, something we do from the time we get up to the time um, we go to bed. It's something that we strive for, and uh, maybe you're working really, really hard to get to that next level of Angry Birds or something like that. Okay, that's work. It's not profitable, but it's work, right? So, so if Christ is going to actually be preeminent in our lives, 
He can't just be preeminent for us on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday evenings for when our road group meets or a Tuesday night men's Bible study, but he's preeminent in every aspect of our lives, and that includes our work, whatever that looks like for you. So let's get into the uh, verses here. Uh, Chapter uh, 3, verse 22. I know Amber read it, but we're going to read it again. So 22, my translation says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So I'm sure that most of you have been Christians for a while. Um, when you are trying to evangelize to your non-Christian friends, you start with two verses. One is, wives, submit to your husbands. And then the next one is, slaves, obey your masters, right? This is what we lead with is Christianity. This is who we are, right? And so we get to a verse like this. And uh, there's a very similar section in Ephesians 6 as Paul's writing to them. Uh, and honestly, I think culturally... We kind of tense up a little bit. Like, we don't want to own this one. Slaves, obey your masters, right? Because we're Americans. We love freedom. 150 years ago, we fight a war in part to end the practice of brutal racial slavery, right? For those of us that are, um, uh, you know, world problem focused right now, we think a lot about the, the very real issue of human trafficking that goes on uh, in our country and around the world. And so we get to slaves obey your masters. And man, there's a lot of baggage there. That is not something that we are, you know, thumbs up. Let's, let's go for that. And so um, what I want to be really clear about, and we'll get into this in a little more detail, but that the Bible and the New Testament in no way endorses what we know of as slavery. Okay? I'll say that again. The Bible does not endorse slavery. The reason I say it again is I preached this sermon up at Communion Church last week, and their, um, which was, was this great, uh, cool experience, and their sound guy decided to have some fun with me. So he doctored my clip, uh, uh, and he said, hey, we're really concerned about the doctrine that Chris preaches, and he sent our elders a clip of me saying, the Bible endorses slavery. He, like, chopped it all up, and uh, it was <laughs> kind of funny. So um, Bible does not. Let's, Travis, you got that? Or Matt, you got that? Not endorse slavery. So on the contrary, if we understand understand the gospel from the beginning to the end, that God as creator creates us, that we are then, uh, uh, we rebel, we fall into sin, we are slaves to sin, and that the whole rest of the Bible is God pulling us out of various forms of slavery and into his grace and into his lordship of our lives. So uh, I know that throughout history, uh, I'm sure that there are times that this verse has been used to say good Christians can go ahead and be slave owners right? But let me be clear what this verse is not saying. This verse is not talking to the 40 to 50,000 young women and girls in America who are involved in human sex trafficking that they need to obey their masters and serve their clients joyfully, okay? It's not saying that. It's not telling the child soldier in Africa um, who's, who's been drugged up uh, and, and told to go charge and, and murder his, his family and his, his village that he should serve and obey his commanders with, with joy and cheer, okay? With everything, when we come to the Bible, we have to understand that context actually matters, okay? So when we come here, when we come to these verses, these verses are in a section of instructions to Christian households in a Roman city of Colossae. Okay? So for them, slavery was not what we know. In fact, the word here is a Greek word, that, uh, it's called doulos, and it, and it translates actually almost, almost all the time in the New Testament as servant or bondservants. 
Very rarely is it ever translated as slave. And I think that the best translation for this verse is actually bondservants. Because in a, in a Roman context, in a Roman household, bondservants were almost like members of the family. They worked with you. They lived with you. They were part of your family. And at some point, after they had served their terms, you would release them uh, and, and let them go to another family, to another business, uh, or to, to enjoy what we would consider freedom. I think even with me saying that, we're still not quite there. This idea of somebody living in our house or, or, or working for us and not getting to change their jobs is, is um, a, offensive to us as freedom-loving Americans, right? You know, we're, we have our own destiny and we do our own jobs and everything, and we're very independent. But I, I think it's important to know that, um, that we're all really, in a sense, slaves, the, what a bond servant was back then is, is someone who had indebted themselves so far that they could not pay their bills any longer. And so the option was, now that the bills are due, was, okay, your bills are due, you can't pay me, you're now in violation of a contract, you're going to debtor's prison, and you will stay in prison until somebody else pays your bill and releases you. Or a rich family or a well-to-do family or business could say, hey, I'll pay your bond. Why don't you come live with me? Why don't you come work with me, serve me? You're not working for your own needs anymore. You're, you're going to serve the needs of my house and of my business for a prescribed period of time. So this was a very, very positive alternative for them when they're in debt. And the reality are we're all in debt, Right? We all have student loans, we have car payments, we have house payments, Um, you know, we we, we get really tensed up if somebody says you have a master, we have no problem having a master card, okay, right? No problem with that at all. It says master right on it, okay, so you serve it every month, you make a payment, if you don't, they yell at you, right? So, and I don't know if you don't pay if they send you to debtor's prison, I haven't really tried that one yet, But, but the reality is we're all working towards something. And I think that our, our um, uh, idea of financial independence that we think we have is, is, is false. Even if you are wealthy, or not even wealthy, just a good steward of your money and you aren't in debt any longer, and I pray that each of us work towards that. Even if you own your own business and don't have a boss but yourself, the reality is you still have a boss it's called clients, right? They pay your salary. They pay for your service, your product. So we all work for somebody. So how we work for them matters. And the issue with these bond servants was they knew they had a prescribed amount of time to work before they could get let off. But so, so they would just do the absolute bare minimum at their jobs, right? I'll just, just work when the boss is watching. I'll just do the very absolute bare minimum because I'm just serving my time like a prisoner, right? I'm just punching a clock and waiting to punch that clock again so I can punch out. Or if they were going to do something really good or awesome, they would make sure the boss saw it. No point in doing something good if there wasn't going to be some recognition for it. Because maybe if the boss saw him do something good, maybe they'd get to rise up in the house or the organization. Maybe they'd get some other material support, like a bonus, or, or get to get let off early, right? This never happens in our place of business, right? right? We always work hard all the time. Nobody's ever slacking off. Nobody's ever um, uh, doing things just for the boss to see. Everybody always just works out of the goodness of their hearts, right? No. Nobody would think the office was funny or office space the movie was funny if that was the case. Be like, that, that's so foreign to me. I don't know. I've never had anybody slack off at work. 
No, we're all upset on Monday. I'm not now. Monday's my day off now officially, but, but I'm, I'm upset on Tuesday sometimes. So, you know, we get to Monday, and it's, it's, the question is, you know, what, what are you waking up for in the morning? You're serving somebody. You're doing something. Even if you're not going to a job, you're a student, maybe, you're a, maybe um, you know, your, your parents are your teachers. You know, you have somebody in authority over you. Stay-at-home mom, man, you never clock out, Right? I'm a dad. I didn't, get, I didn't get to clock out last night at 2 o'clock when one of my kids wasn't feeling well and decided they were also scared and wanted to come sleep with us and kick me in the head for a half hour. Right? It's like, don't you know I have to preach tomorrow? Like, this is important, right? No, we're, we're, we're always on the clock. So Paul's telling these bond servants to not just obey their earthly masters and do the bare minimum, but, but to obey them in everything. And not out of fear of the masters, Right? Certainly we have people in authority over us, and we do want to to please them and serve them at at times, but out of respect and service of the Lord, who's ultimately their masters. And so part of Christian living is, despite your circumstances, despite um, your conditions, you actually have to live consistently throughout your life. So the same Christian you are on Sunday morning or Wednesday afternoon or Tuesday evenings or whenever, or whenever your fight club meets is the same person you need to be all the time. And Paul's just admonishing these people because he, he's, he's saying, you don't get to have a pass if your boss is a jerk. So it doesn't matter who your earthly master is. You're, you're working for me. It doesn't matter what your boss sees because God sees everything. And, and I love that he doesn't give us a pass. Because I think each of us, yeah, you don't understand my circumstance. You haven't met my boss, right? I've had good bosses and bad bosses. And, and it's been, a, I'll be honest, it's a real struggle to be a good employee for the bad bosses uh, and, and, and not maybe take advantage or slack off for the good bosses or the gracious bosses. So while God absolutely knows our working conditions, he knows if you have a bad boss, he knows if you have unruly kids, he knows if you have a husband um, that doesn't love you um, as much as he should, or kids that are disobedient, right? He knows that. And, and sometimes what God does is not work to deliver us from our circumstances, but he really cares about what our hearts are in those circumstances. And that's incredibly important because um, he wants us to understand that we need to be consistent, So my question for you this morning is, who do you work for? What are you getting out of bed in the morning for? Is it for yourself or is it for God? Is it for your boss or is it for some other hobby or pleasure or something else? Who are your earthly masters? Because the reality are we all have somebody that's in authority over us, right? And lastly, who are you? Man, this one's tough. Who are you when no one's watching? What's on your screen at work when there's nobody else there? What's, how are you working when, when, when nobody's watching? How are you spending your time at home or at work when no one else is there and there's no one to call you on, on what you're doing or how you're doing it? This was incredibly challenging for me. It, it is on a regular basis, but going back many years to uh, uh, early in my career, uh, my company, uh, I worked for a marketing agency, and one of our biggest clients that literally, they practically owned our company because they paid so many of our bills, um, was a big credit card company in Wilmington, Delaware. 
Most of you only know Wilmington, Delaware as that. That's where the envelope comes from to uh, ask you to sign up. It's not a real place. And if you're wondering if it's close to hell, it actually is. So, um, so I, they, they said, hey, Chris, uh, they, we want you to work with our client at their headquarters uh, for the next 10, 11 weeks from January through February and into March. If you've ever been on the East Coast in wintertime, it is brutal. This is a cakewalk. I mean, it, it never got above 30 degrees the entire time I was there. Nobody plans vacations for Wilmington, Delaware, okay? And, and part of me was like excited. I'm like, oh, wow, my company, I'm going to be the representative for my company. I'm, I'm 23, I'm 24. Like, wow, they, they must really respect me. Well, the reality is nobody else in my company wanted to go to Wilmington, Delaware for 10 months or 10 weeks, right? So I'm there. And I'm not just working at their headquarters where your client can see you at all times and see every bit of your little work habits, but they also had me live in their corporate housing. So I'm living with clients who had been brought in from all over the country. And it was like real world with alcoholic bankers. I mean, it was, it was nuts. But, but I, had to be, I had to be that good representative for my company, not just from nine to five, or in this case, you know, seven to five, not just, but, but at the gym, at, at a pub, at a restaurant, everywhere I went was somebody, because it was a small town and a big company, everywhere I went was somebody that was a client. And so where, where it's okay, you can fool some people for a while on who you are, man, you can't, you can't fool them, you can't fool them for 10 straight weeks. So I had to really check who I was, who I'm working for, who I represent, and it was challenging. And for them, it was, it was very interesting to kind of see how they work. I mean, they're very much, um, you know, if you're in marketing or you're in client services, it's all people pleasing and eye service, right? It's just make a good impression and keep going. And so for them, they show up to this, to this team deal, and, and they're all showing up really early, or what I consider really early. They're all there at 7 a.m., when the office really kind of opened closer to nine, then they'd fire off emails to their bosses saying, I'm working on this right now, or, you know, when you get in, let's talk about X, Y, Z. And so their bosses would come in and be like, wow, these guys are working hard. But then from 7.15 to nine o'clock, they'd just go to the break room and have breakfast and hang out and drink coffee and, and uh, you know, badmouth the bosses and badmouth the projects we're working on. And I'd love to tell you the only reason I knew about that is because I was at my desk while they were there. But, you know, I had a lot of omelets while I, was, while I was there, too. And, you know, my job was babysitting them, but it was really convicting to me, like, wow, what's the purpose of this? Who are they trying to impress? They're not working. So consistency actually matters. And, and Paul's giving very practical instructions in, the, in this first verse here. And he kind of goes on, as we're going to look at verse 24 and, and 25, sorry, 23 and 24, to continue to give practical instructions, but he's going to do it for some theological reasons. And what's cool about this is, is these verses here kind of begin to outline and point us towards what God believes about work. Because God actually has things to say about work. And we're going to get into that in detail, but here we go. Verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And then he says simply, you are serving the Lord Christ. Can't really get much more clear than that. Work is very important to God. Work, what you need to know, was started. God instituted work before sin entered the world. Right? He tells Adam to create and to cultivate and to work. Unfortunately, because of sin, work has gone from something that should be fulfilling and joyful to, to honestly something that's very, it's just toil. It's difficult. 
You know, no, no, nobody, you know, my kids don't say, hey, we're going to go work toys tonight. You know, or, you know they, they say play, because play and work are very different to us, right? So we have to understand that now because of sin, the world that we work in is no longer motivated to glorify God, but we are motivated by greed, by oppression of others, by laziness, sometimes by selfish ambition, so people will be impressed with us, or sometimes just, you know, particularly in a tough economy, just basic survival, making sure I have food, making sure I have energy, making sure I have shelter. So as God is setting out to redeem his broken world, part of how he does it is through work. It's what theologians call the doctrine of vocation. And vocation is a, um, it's a fancy word for us for job. It doesn't have any more meaning than that, right? I go to vocational training, you know, something like that. Um, but the reality is vocation is, is, a, is a, a Latin word. It comes from Latin meaning calling, that there's actually something sacred about what you do. And, and, and before the Reformation, calling was just reserved for priests. You're called to the Lord's work. Well, the former's coming and saying, no, 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 no. We are all Christians. We're all the priesthood of believers. We're all called to something sacred. Whether that's working for a church or whether that's working for the PUD. Right? So, as Christians, we have to understand that when we work, we're actually working God's actually working through us. So what we do and how we do it actually matters. And so um, at our church, we talk a lot about God's providence in salvation. But through work, that's also God's providence in literally providing for us, for our, our earthly needs. Work is very important to God. And so, you know, so many of us as Christians, we, 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 we say things like, God works in mysterious ways. Well, that's true. But God also works in very, very ordinary ways, right? He feeds us by ordinary ways. He helps us pay our taxes by ordinary ways. He, he makes sure there's roads by ordinary ways. He, he, there's schools by ordinary ways. There's food and shelter by or, very, very ordinary ways. And, and, and that's, that's important because it helps us value the work that, that everyone does and helps us to realize that, that what, what the world calls economics— which I'm a geek. I actually love economics. I love studying it in school. I love talking about it. Nobody talks to me about it. Um, but uh, I love economics. And I think part of why I love it is because in reality, it is, it is the interaction of a variety of people's God-given callings and vocations, working together to serve one another so that so we all can have a, a, a standard of living. It's beautiful. Except when it tanks. Then it's really bad, right? So... What, what's cool is that, you know, even in healing, God heals us in very, very ordinary ways. We pray for healing. That's important, and God does miraculous things. But, man, I, um, I have really bad allergies. Um, the doctor basically told me I'm allergic to everything in the Northwest. So he's like, you're allergic to trees, you're allergic to grass, you're allergic to hippies. So like, you, you're wor- like, this is tough. He's like, no occupying Seattle for you, son. You need some allergy shots. So um, I, um, I get allergy shots on a regular basis where they just basically pump me full of all the things I'm allergic to. Somehow it's supposed to help me. Um, and so I, I get these shots and they make you wait at the clinic for a half hour afterwards to make sure you don't die from it. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, you wait there. And it's a good time to read or, or waste time watching TV either way. So I, I depends on how holy I feel that day. But so I, I waited my time about two months ago, 
um, getting my shot, and, um, and I leave. I was feeling okay, um, and I leave the clinic to go down to the mall to go buy something um, for myself or something for my wife, I forget which. And um, we, uh, I'm driving, call my wife as I'm getting ready to walk into Best Buy, and that's when I realize I can't talk. I'm like, <sighs> and actually my breathing is getting... <coughs> Man, it's, sorry, it's actually getting tight now. It did that first service too, and so I'm, this isn't fake. It's actually, these are my allergies. So uh, anyway, I am, I'm breathing heavy, realize I can't talk, which if you guys know me, I talk all the time, so this was very difficult for me. Um, and so I, um, I prayed for healing, right? But my wife said, go to the stinking clinic. I was like, you know, I'm going to go to Best Buy and see if they have your phone cover, but then I'll go to the clinic, which I did. It was, it was foolish. Um, but so I, I get in my car, and I'm driving towards the clinic, and I'm praying for God to heal me, but I'm still driving towards the clinic. And I get there and I walk into the, um, walk in to talk to uh, uh, the receptionist who knows me. And she, hey, Chris, how you doing? What did you just hear? I'm like, I'm having a reaction. And that's all, you know, all I can get out. And all of a sudden, boom, they, they take me into the room and there's a dozen nurses when I only knew there was two. And all, there's all these nurses around, doctors around, and they're giving me a shot. They're having me drink this. They're putting me on a nebulizer. Um, and, and God healed me. And I'm really glad he did. And he healed me by calling some people to be nurses and by calling some people to work for pharmaceutical companies, even to be pharmaceutical company reps, right? <laughs> Questionable. All right. Um, but but, he, but he, he healed me through that. And so we, we need to be careful in understanding that as Christians, when we think about jobs and work, we shouldn't be asking ourselves, what job should I do or what's best for me? We need to be asking ourselves, what has God called me to? And some pastors might be presumptuous and say they can tell you what that is. I can't. I don't know what you're called to. But we are going to spend a significant amount of time um, today talking about what callings look like and how they, how, uh, what they look like at various points in our life. So what I will say first and foremost, when you think about work and you think about callings, we are actually all called to work, to actually do something, and, and for a specific purpose. Like I said, I don't know what that is. But for us as, as a church, we, we, we fight against the idea of the gospel that's just God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life because we know it's more than that, but it's actually not less than that. And so I think functionally we act like God saves us for no purpose at all. He, just, he saves us and we just you know, get to monk out. And so um, we're going to look at a few verses here. Ephesians 2 verse 10 uh, and this is right around a really great section of Scripture talking about how God um, takes us from dead sinners into alive believers and, and saves us spiritually. And then he says this about us, who we are. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, another verse. Romans 8, 28, this is, the, uh, this is a Tim Tebow verse right here, right? He's got this on his, uh, on his uh, eye patches. Um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Wow, so, and this again is a rather awesome section of scripture talking about how we're saved from sin, but then, but... So you have to understand that there is actually a reason you are saved. And it's not because uh, you bring something unique and wonderful to the, ta- to the table for God um, apart from Him, but that we are, and you are, God's workmanship. He created you and He's prepared you and me for a purpose. 
And that purpose is actually good works. And he calls us to walk in those. And so he didn't just save you so you can sit back and consume or, or, or sit back and be really spiritual and just be a monk that just reads and studies and prays and never actually interacts with anyone. Right? He calls us to love him, to know him, to study him, and for that to lead to serving and working for other people. And so he wants us to work with others and for others for his glory. And that means his glory in big, high-profile jobs. That means his glory in very boring and mundane jobs. And even his glory in, in very dirty jobs and undesirable jobs that still need to be done. And so one thing I want us to know about callings is that our callings are going to serve other people. And so the, the, the um, Christianity, first and foremost, we have an understanding that our salvation is not a result of our works. Okay, so I want to be really clear on that. But faith in Christ and the result of that salvation should lead us to those good works that God has prepared for us. If you really do believe that, that God loves you and saves you, he actually saved you for a purpose to go work in. And, and, and it's important. Like I said, God, God's not impressed with our works. And, and I think the theologian uh, Gustav Wengren says this, God doesn't need our good works. Okay, you need to know God doesn't need you to do anything. But he goes on to say, but our neighbor does. And Jesus tells us the, the two commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Okay, so... There's no way for us to love God and love our neighbors without actually serving and loving them. And, and, and Martin Luther, during the Reformation, man, he just lit up the monks. He said, you know what? He, he, he said, the things you do, talking about them living in a monastery, praying and all that stuff, yeah, that's great, you know, retreating from society and doing all that, but they're not good works at all, he says, because he asked them the question, who are they helping? Right? God's not impressed that they chanted or that they took a vow of poverty or anything like that. See, and you need to know that God, God's not impressed with your degrees. He's not impressed if you have a doctorate in theology or he's not impressed with how many Bible studies you attend. He's not impressed with whether you come to church every Sunday. He's not impressed if you um, have, have listened to you know, millions of hours of podcasts. Right? Some of us are podcast junkies. He's not impressed with that if it doesn't actually lead you to serve and love other people. If it just terminates with you, what's the point? God, we do that all the time. Um, that's, that's part of actually why I'm in ministry is, is that I, am, I have the spiritual gift of a critical spirit. I don't know if it's much of a gift at times, but I, I was a podcast junkie. I loved attending Bible studies, going to groups and just, just feeding as much as I can and, and then critiquing everybody else. Uh, and at a certain point, God said, you don't get to just sit back and be a critic. You have to get in the game. And actually participate and serve and love other people. It doesn't help me to know about God if I'm not teaching it to my wife or, or, or being gracious to her and teaching my kids. There's no point. It's not helping and serving others. All right. So if you genuinely love God, then you genuinely will have some good works that actually help other people. And so my question to you is, how does your calling, how does your vocation, how does your work, how does how you spend your day actually help other people. And, and when we think about neighbors, who are your neighbors in your particular areas of vocation? It's not just the people next to you, 
but the people in your family, the people in your church, the people in your job or your, your sports teams or whatever it is. And, and are you actually serving those people with the love of God? It's incredibly, I don't know, like I said, it was convicting for me. I hope it is for you. We have to understand as well about our calling and our vocation that we're going to have many callings all at the same time. This idea that you're going to have one laser-focused calling and that all of the things are going to, to drop away in your life because of it is wrong. I'll be just clear about that. You're called to, to work. You're called to be husbands and wives, to be sons and daughters, to be brothers and sisters, to be members of a church if you're a Christian. You're called to a body of believers, not to just hop around a bunch of different churches based on whether you like the music or you like the preaching or you like the kids' program. But... What I need you to ask yourself and look at is, is how, do your, how do your various callings actually work together? Because I think what happens for most of us is our callings compete with each other for time, energy, and resources. If I feel like I'm called to a hobby, or, you know, you know, that I'm going to spend a bunch of time and money in that hobby, and my job and my family uh, uh, and, and the, the church are going to suffer for it. If you feel like so strongly that you're called to whatever your career is, but God's also given you a wife, then, man, your wife better know your name and know what you look like and see you enough. She doesn't care how much money you're going to bring in, although if she does, that's another conversation. But our callings should work in harmony together. How you work should give you resources to take care of your family and to take care of this church. Your time serving, growing, and volunteering in this church should help lead you to spiritual growth, which helps you to serve at your job and serve in your families better. Your life with your families should help support uh, what your life looks like in your job. So they should be in harmony with one another, but they're not. And, and I, there's, there's so many people that... They put their jobs... As they as they're, think that's their calling and they don't do anything else. And, and I'll be honest, that's not as much of a struggle, I think, um, in the church as it is outside of the church. The struggle I see mostly within our church is, is us maybe sometimes not working hard enough. I want to be careful about that. We'll get into that in a little more detail. But um, no, we'll just get into it now. Let's do it. All right. Our callings are going to be hard work, okay? Hard work. God even says it's going to be hard work, right? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. That's, the word heartily actually means from your soul, from your life energy. So you're going to actually expend energy working. So if you are not expending energy working, then you are not living out God's call in your life. If you're comfortable and rested, you're probably ignoring God's calling in your life. And I, I, I struggle with this quite a bit because um, we deal with, with, with folks all the time where, you know, hey, family finances aren't doing well or, or gosh, I just don't know what I should be doing. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're not spending enough energy. I don't mean to work for work's sake, but man, it's the, the, the bare minimum life of office space, the movie, you know, just, just doing what you can to get by is not a biblical concept. It's funny, right? I, I think it is anyway, but it's, it's funny, but it's not a biblical concept. And so if you need to know how to work hard, I was blessed. My dad, honestly, even, even being you know, over 20 years older than me, man, he can work circles around me. 
He is such a hard worker, and I learned how to be a, a decent worker and see what that looks like from him. If you didn't have that, man, go to the book of Proverbs. Spend time in the book of Proverbs because um, it is just all about clear teaching of the sin of laziness and of sloth, teaching about working hard uh, while being reminded when to stop working and rest and enjoy. And for you, for, for men in particular, most days of my life, I start by reading whatever the proverb of that day is. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, so whatever the date is, I read that, that chapter. And I love it because for men, man, it's just basic daily instructions. Work hard, keep your pants on, come home, go to sleep, and do it again. It's awesome, right? You need that. You need that every day. Those are daily men reminders. Don't lust, work hard, come home, okay? It can't, can't get much more simple than that. So, like I said, are you working hard or not? And you know. Actually, maybe you don't know. Ask your spouse. Ask, try this. Oh, man. Ask your boss if you're a hard worker. That's difficult. You might not like that answer. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe they, they will like it, but I don't, I don't know. For the most part, um, that's a very difficult thing to ask. All right. The other thing about our callings is that they will change. So as much as you have diverse callings, as much as it's going to be hard work, it's going to change throughout various seasons of your life. I, um, you know, when you start out your life, you're called as a student to learn, and, to, and you're called a, uh, as a, uh, at some point to get into some sort of training for whatever's next in your life. And, and sometimes you have, like I said, multiple callings at once. But, you know, when I was a, a student in college and in high school, I, um, I was a lifeguard and swim instructor which honestly is a really awesome high school job. I had a, I had a tan most of the time in the summer, um, and it's, it wasn't, didn't feel like work, but by God's grace, I got paid. Um, cool job. I was a valet. Um, if you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where they take cars and drive them around, yeah, we did some of that, right? It was, it was, it was a great job because you had to drive all these super cool cars. Um, but that was 10, 15 years ago. And, and I needed those jobs at that time to help pay for school and whatnot. If I was still doing that now, at a certain point, I would be denying what God's called me to do next, whatever that may be. And, and I would be exchanging, um, you know, good godly contentment for just being glad with where you're at with complacency that, well, I'll just stay here. This is comfortable. This is nice. I know this. And so by God's grace, hopefully your callings change and, and your, your callings grow. You grow as a mother, you grow as a father, you grow in your jobs and in your businesses or, or, and, in, and in service. And, and that'd be great if it was always just a progression from better to better to better, but it's not. Sometimes we take a step back. Sometimes we get laid off. Sometimes we get fired. Those are different. Sometimes our business doesn't do well or fails. And so we have to take steps back. Sometimes I've even heard people say, man, I, I'm just telling God right now that I'm past that stage and I just hope he doesn't send me back there. Probably going to send you back there <laughs> if you think you're past it. I, I think he does that at times to humble us and to help us grow for, for, for his glory so that we rely on him and not on ourselves. I, um, I got laid off uh, in um, May of 2009 and I, I had unemployment and I had some savings um, and so we were making it okay. But one of the things I did to help make ends meet during the, the months that I was off was um, I, I ended up mowing the lawn of my old coworker who at the time was my boss as well. Man, talk about humbling. Mowing your boss's lawn when you used to be... Um, you know, 
doing really cool marketing projects for, for him. I mean, it's, it, it's different. It's like I've been doing this since I was 10. I was pretty sure I was past mowing lawns, particularly since I told you I'm allergic to everything. <laughs> it was brutal. Um, but, uh, but, you know, you do that. And, and so um, we have different stages. Some of you, and, and this, is, this doesn't happen too much in our church yet, but as, as our church gets older, some of you are, are moving towards retirement from whatever your career is. And we'll, we'll get there, hopefully. But you need to know when you retire from, from your career, you're not retiring from your calling. You're just retiring from one career and moving and calling it and into another one. So it's not your time of leisure and to sit back and wait to die. It's your time to serve. It's your time to volunteer in ways you couldn't before. It's your time to work in ways you couldn't before. Pour into people's lives in ways you couldn't before. So we're always going from something. And there's various stages. But I think a big trap that we have at times is believing that the next stage in our life, that's what our calling is. So we're never content with where we're at. This, is a, this can be a chronic problem within our, within our church and in our world. That we're never where we're at. And yet God determines the time and places we live. So your calling is to right here and right now. Plan for the future. Anticipate the future. Work towards the future. But know that God has you here for a reason. He has you in your job for a reason. He has you with your family for a reason. Your kids are, um, you know, five, three, and one, and with one more on the way for a reason, right? Because clearly we haven't done enough diapers at our house. So, so you're there until you're not. But don't just wait for what you think the next step is and assume that's what your high calling is because uh, we have, we have uh, to work hard in each, each area of our life, each stage of our life. The other thing about calling is that our callings come from outside of ourselves. Sometimes when, when our callings end, that comes from outside of ourselves as well. I say this because some of us have an inflated sense of ourselves in what we think we're called to. One of my good friends, his brother, um, I don't believe graduated high school, but he's in his mid-30s now, and he's literally been one of these you know, uh, straw men that pastors like to use. He is the 35-year-old that lives in his mom's basement and has never gotten out. I was like, wow, that's a real person. I just thought it was something pastors made up. Um, so he, um, he's this guy. He, he's on unemployment because he has a really hard time holding down jobs. And my, my buddy comes home for Christmas, and he's having this conversation with me. And he goes, yeah, I'm asking my brother, and I almost said his name, um, asking my brother, you know, hey, what's your, um, what's your uh, uh, job prospects? What are you looking towards? What are you working towards? And he said, well, I'm really, uh, I mean, there's jobs out there, but I'm really waiting for something in management or engineering. I'm like, you haven't graduated high school. I don't want you engineering anything. <laughs> like, you never managed anyone. You've never even worked hard for a season of your life. Right? So we need people who we love and respect and trust to, to help point us in the right direction. Like I said, sometimes you're called to something outside of yourself or by other people. Sometimes your callings end by somebody outside of your people. When I got laid off, I got called into my boss's office, and they told me, your calling here at this company has ended. I was part of a layoff where our company went from 140 down to 40. And, and, and everybody else is, they're, 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 they're balling, they're sad, they're scared, they don't know what's next. I didn't know what's next. But I had a sense and an understanding that, okay, my time here is done. Clearly God has something else for me. Okay, there's another trap though, and that's assuming we know what that is. I assumed at that time, two and a half years ago, that that meant that it was finally time for me to stop driving to downtown Seattle and get to be in full-time ministry at Damascus Road Church. I wasn't, that wasn't what God had for me. It was summer mowing lawns and going back to work back in Seattle for two and a half more years. 
by God's grace, I'm doing what I'm doing now, and I'm happy. So you need to understand you might have a dream job or what you think is you want to have be the outcome of your life, but if nobody's confirming it, if nobody's encouraging you in that direction, it's possible it's, not, it's your dream, but it's not his calling for you. And that can be difficult to swallow. So I want us to ask ourselves, who are we listening to? Who's actually calling us to various tasks? You may feel like, I'm just going to throw out Nate here for a second. You might feel like you're not called to children's ministry, but we need 80 volunteers to take care of children's ministry. That can't mean that all of you aren't called to children's ministry. You're here. So children's ministry. So see Nate after that. Um, <laughs> all right. Moving on. Um, our callings as well, they will glorify God. One way or another, with or without us, they will glorify God. We are all working towards something. We're all working for someone or something. The question is what? And you can be a Christian or you can be a non-Christian, and God can use what you do for good. He can work through you, um, but really the issue is how our work glorifies God is an issue of our heart. John Piper says that when you worship God, you do diapers differently. I think that's important. Menial, dirty tasks are different if you're doing them to the glory of God or doing them just to get done. I'm not saying I praise Jesus every time that my kids need their diapers changed, Um, I guess I've been changing a lot of diapers lately. I don't know why it's in front of my mind. But um, see, when we serve ourselves, we deny our master and creator in heaven if we're just working for ourselves. And verse 25 is, is brutal on that. Let's take a look at it real quick. Verse 25, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. See, we can do good things and right things for wrong reasons. If we're doing them for ourselves and not to the glory of God, it's called sin. And, and there's, there's, there's consequences for that in this life and in the next. Talk about that more in a second. Last verse, 4.1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. When our callings place us over people, we're to treat them with respect because we're someone under authority as well. And, and this is important because every person we come in contact with, every person we come in contact with is an image bearer of God. And they are his masters or his, his servants, not ours. And so this means very practically speaking that we need to remember the simple truth that those under us and those in a position of service of, uh, for us actually have a soul. Right? When you go to Subway and there's a line and they're punching out sandwiches, those guys all have a soul. Your barista has a soul. Right? When, when, when your cable goes out in the middle of an on-demand movie and you're calling somebody from an, the other side of the world, uh, they have a soul. <laughs> and so you don't light them up because the little technology didn't work and you don't get to watch your movie. Okay? So, not that I've ever done that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so... We have to understand that our interactions with other people are going to have either a positive or a negative impact on them. It's never going to be neutral if you're actually interacting with somebody else. And so that means that if you're a Christian and you serve under the master of heaven, then it means 
that your interactions with people will define how they think about that master. They're either going to think well of God or poorly. Simply put, if you have Christian bumper stickers on your car, it means how you drive is going to matter, which is exactly why I don't have Christian bumper stickers on my car. So, <laughs> so um, but, but in all seriousness, how we interact with people matter. So we're done with our verses, but my, my fear is that as we go through a sermon like this, both Christians and non-Christians will just hear, okay, I get it. Work hard in every aspect of our life. Do better than I'm doing now. And, and our challenge is, is that some of us are going to feel prideful because we're doing okay. Well, I had a good week. I read my Bible to the kids this last week, so I'm doing good. Wow, um, you know, I'm doing great because, um, you know, I did well on my job or whatever. Or we're going to feel bad because we still have high school jobs and we're not in high school anymore. Or we're not providing for our families and, and we're just going to be in despair. And, and that doesn't lead to any life. Doing harder, sorry, doing better and trying harder doesn't help. It doesn't lead to life. Because we're not just deists. We're not just people who believe in a God and we hope to please them, him with our good works. We're Christians. And what that is distinct and unique is that we don't trust in our good works to please God. But our hope is not that we're going to be able to do enough for him to be happy, but our hope and our trust and our joy is knowing that Jesus has done the work for us. That's incredibly refreshing. And so what it means is that all of us in this room, all of us in this world, we are called to Jesus. I don't know what your individual calling is, but our corporate calling as people who are created by God is to Jesus. And that works itself out in that we look to Jesus as an example for what humble work should look like. It's great that he lived a life, you know, he sympathizes with us in our circumstances. He left the glory of heaven and came down to be a small baby in a poor family. And we beat that like a drum during Christmas and we forget by January 15th. So he grew up as a kid under the authority of a, of a mother and a father. He was a student who had to learn. He worked a job with his dad, probably as an apprentice and moving on to, to doing well as a carpenter. For 20 years, he was probably a carpenter. And even, even in, in his, what we consider a high calling or a calling from God to, to be in, in ministry that we read about through the Gospels, that's three years of his life. That's less than 10% of his total life was spent in some high calling, which means over 90% of Jesus' life was just as boring, just as mundane, just as toilsome and hard as our lives are. But he says, work, submit, obey. Even with a sincere heart, as he did in the garden, when he knows he's a, the next day he's going to be executed, and he says to God, if there's another way for this to happen, I, I would prefer to not work this way. But not my will, your will. I submit and I will serve on the cross and allow the creation that I created to murder me. I will serve and obey, trust and obey. And it's because of that sacrifice on the cross, it's because that he rose again, that, that we don't just look at Jesus as our example of what it means to be a servant and just try to be self-sacrificial, but that we joyfully serve him, as, as our verses say, the Lord Christ, which literally translates master, savior. So we owe everything to God. Everything we have, we owe to God, but we live as though we're completely independent of his loving provision. And when we try to be independent, that's sin. And, and so 
It leads to a debt of sin that we all have to pay. All of us have a debt of sin. And so we may feel like we're freedom, like we have freedom, but we are slaves to our own sin because of that debt, because of that brokenness. And there is a time that will come when we will die. Each and every single person in this room will die. Okay, there's no question about that. None of you are going to argue with me on that point. But when we die, that debt of sin is going to have to be settled. Our rebellion to God and how we spent our life is going to have to be settled and brought before God. And if we're found lacking at this judgment, which we will be without Christ, then our sentence is an eternal debtor's prison of hell. That is the fate we all deserve. That's the fate I deserve for my sin. My sin yesterday, my sin today, my sin tomorrow. And there is absolutely good news, okay? There is the gospel. And there's good news because, as 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, you were bought with a price, okay? Your debt was paid. God is gracious to us in Jesus. So if you have that debt of sin that we all have, if you actually make the choice or you move to transfer that debt to Jesus, he pays for it by a price with his uh, his death and his blood on the cross, And so you actually get to be redeemed from slavery. You're not going to debtor's prison. You're not a slave. And because he pays for our debt, we get to actually become his doulos, his bondservants. But we get to to be his bondservant in a joyful heart because we get to give him our entire lives. He doesn't say, serve me for three years, give me, be a people pleaser, just serve me by way of eye service, just do the bare minimum. No, don't just come to church, don't just come to a Bible study, don't just give your 10% or your 0% for some of you. Give me your entire life, he says. And we joyfully say, yes, I want to be a bondservant in your house. I want to be a servant in your kingdom. Being a slave to God is a beautiful thing in the Bible. Paul, Peter, even Jesus' half-brother James all called themselves slaves to Christ and slaves to the gospel. And one of the greatest joys in my life is that I had the opportunity to stop being a slave to my own sin and I get to be a slave to God and to the gospel. And it's my prayer for each and every one of you in this room for each, each of the people in your families and your coworkers and the people that aren't in this room, that they would become slaves to God, that, they would, um, that we would become ambassadors of his household and, and of his kingdom, and we'd be sent into the world to proclaim that good news, that we're all slaves, but there's somebody out here who's paying the debt and redeeming, and all he asks for is your whole life. And instead of, of just getting to be a bondservant, He says we get to be sons and daughters, so we actually get to have an inheritance. We get something at the end, and it's Jesus. And so I want us to spread that gospel, but it starts here. It starts today. It starts in this room. It starts with your heart right now, with each and every one of us running to Jesus falling on our knees, declaring him Lord and Master, giving him our debt of sin, letting him save us, letting him redeem us, and then willingly spending the rest of our lives being his bondservant as an adopted son and daughter. You have the opportunity to do that today. You have the opportunity to respond to that calling in your heart. 
You can come up with and talk to myself or to Sam or the other pastors and tell us that that's what you want to do and we will pray with you. For those of us who've done that or doing that again, we get to come up to communion. And we, and we come to communion, we do communion each and every week because we're reminded that as bond servants of the king, our freedom was paid for with a price. And that price is his broken body signified in the bread. That price is his shed blood signified in the cup. And then we're going to give tithes and we're going to give offer- offerings. This is actually important too because we're not doing it to buy God's favor. He's already pleased with us in Christ. But we do it because we recognize that everything comes from him. And he asks us to have an open and generous heart. And he still provides us richly with all things. And then lastly, we're going to get to sing. Again, I'm not going to sing. I don't want to hear Sam sing. I don't know what he was saying about that at the beginning of service, that he's uh, going to sing someday. But, um, but we're going to get to sing Right? You all got out of your beds, got into your cars, and came here, and you're not waiting to watch a podcast or a vodcast or to turn on the TV and, and, and watch some guy there. You came together as a body of believers, whether you knew it or not, and part of it was to get to sing together. Not so that we'll all be impressed with each other, right? Not as people pleasers and for eye service, but out of a sincere heart that, that wants to sing to our servant, to our, to our master. King Jesus, because we love him and respect him and we worship him.